to another episode of ST Talks. I'm Laura Demmer, your host today, and I'm here with Kevin Zimba, the Eastern U.S. Sales Manager, who is also on our genetic development team. Kevin just recently was in Reno, Nevada, presenting at the Western Dairy Management Conference on how to sustain a crossbred herd. Now, Kevin, crossbreeding has been a strategy many dairy operations have adopted. Um, Before we dive into the breeding strategy that you um, spoke on, can you just give us a broad understanding of the why behind crossbreeding programs? Yeah, thanks, Laura. I mean, it's it's really a, a great topic to talk about. And the fascinating thing about crossbreeding is, uh, you know, it's existed for quite a while in the, whether it's the U.S. Holstein, well, I don't want to call it Holstein, but U.S. dairy population, but also worldwide. and. Um, it's probably been in the most recent period of time in the last three to five years. As we see um, the milk marketing aspect of the U.S. dairy industry change uh, significantly towards um, fat and protein, and especially protein, um, dairies are wondering to themselves, you know, how do I get more Uh, solids out of my cows. And then as a more intricate part of crossbreeding comes into this discussion about frame size and frame sizes. It's got a lot of different reasons why, like, uh, you know, maybe the Holstein cow is too big for facilities. Uh, Maybe the Holstein cow has some lameness issues or um, productive life issues when she gets to that third and fourth lactation that some other breeds may not have. But on the converse side, we see a lot of herds with jerseys or a percentage of jerseys that are really wondering in today's market about salvage values. Um, salvage values of, of cull cows. Um, but not only that, but the value of crossbreeding with beef. Um, when we make Jersey times beef, whatever that beef uh, sire is, um, that aspect of the beef cross market is starting to waver in its value. Um, a lot of dairies are, are starting to question whether or not the value of those cross cans when they're coming from a Jersey herd, if, if that's going to be sustainable. Um, So that frame size, um, on one hand, the the Holstein is probably too big and Jersey may be too small. And so how do we create a cow, not think about purebreds um, and think about the the real framework of what a, a profitable, economically sustainable cow looks like, if that makes sense. For sure. And like you had stated, um, when you're selecting off of the, the frame size and you said that um, Holsteins maybe don't have the, the best um, productive life or health traits, do you think that when you are doing this crossbreeding program, does it lead to a cow that is um, going to have you know higher health traits or better health traits and more productive life, um, a more, maybe more of a sustainable herd as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a, a great question from the standpoint of uh, a couple different reasons. One is uh, the selection pressure 
I guess, of the traits that we're looking for. Like when we select, when we're doing, say, a Holstein times Jersey cross uh, in the past, um, when people have done crossbreeding, it's almost like they haven't done it with the intent to select for anything specific. It's more like I'm, I'm going to mate a Holstein to a Jersey and see what I get because I think that's a better um, animal. Um, now, knowing what we do through genomics and um, the percentage of Jersey and Holstein for different um, traits, we're actually able to say, hey, you know, I want to make sure that I'm selecting for fertility, say, on my jerseys or uh, maintain productive life from the Holsteins, uh, moderate frame size from the Holstein, increase percent components from the jersey, and try to combine uh, the traits that are going to be um, most beneficial. With that said, the health of the animal, the stayability, the livability, both as a cow, but also a calf is really, really important. And that's where I think the heterosis or hybrid vigor, as everybody likes to refer to it as, comes into play. Uh, we know that when we combine unlike genings or genotypes um, from unlike breeds, um, we're getting a boost. We're getting um, a bump in performance from that, that heterosis of unrelated genes. And that comes into fruition, not only in the production side, but predominantly in that health side. Um, we have a lot of data that shows that um, calf livability is actually one of the first things that gets a big bump. You know, a lot of these Jersey herds um, on large scales will have an accepted uh, non-completion rate of say, 10 to 12%, and maybe in the Holsteins, it's 8 to 10%. But on a lot of these um, F1 herds, um, we'll see non-completion rate uh, drop into that 6 7% because we're, we're making an animal that, that has just a little bit of a boost from that hybrid vigor. Um, and then that uh, comes right back into production levels as well. You know, less cull rates, lower cull rates, I should say, and um, longer lasting calves. I mean, ultimately our goal, no matter what we're doing, whether it's breeding purebreds or crossbreeding is to make a herd of cows that has a higher percentage of mature cows in the herd that last, um, you know, five to seven or even eight months longer than their contemporaries. And uh, I think through crossbreeding, we're able to, uh, uh, kick that into high gear through selection and heterosis. So with this uh, effect of heterosis, like give us a rundown on the type of crosses that you are suggesting um, and why you would suggest them. Yeah, um, you know, uh, it's a really, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat. And that's that's probably the one thing that's great about the dairy industry. Um there's so many different ways to be profitable and we all learn from one another and um, no one way is, is definitely right. Um, but with that said, you know, I think Holstein times Jersey cross is probably going to have that most familiarity for a lot of people. Um, there is, it's, um, it's not like jumping off a cliff, I guess is the best way to say it. You know, there's there's more of an acceptance of those two breeds. You know, 
people know what they're getting with Holsteins. They know what they're getting with jerseys. So when they cross that, it's kind of a little bit more of a known entity. Um, there are other cross um, models out there um, that utilize, say, Viking genetics, Swedish red genetics, um, Normandy Montbilliard. Um, some of those, I think, are, have some value from the heterosis side, for sure. But there's a little bit of concerns that I personally have and others in the industry um, with the fact that those are on an airshear base as opposed to a, um, a breed base within the U.S. population. So we're not really measuring genetic progress probably accurately um, through those breeds. And additionally, uh, those breeds are so much smaller in their own internal breed population size that it's harder for them to make uh, genetic progress. So when you're doing a three-way cross, as an example, um, with a, a Montbilliard or Normandy, um, you actually have to take a genetic step back um, when you go into that cross. Um, and when you come back out on the Holstein or Jersey side, um, that's where you make a lot of your genetic gain. So you're basically doing a three-way cross specifically for heterosis. And, and that's good. But I think if you're going to do a three-way cross, we have uh, other breeds like Brown Swiss is probably a breed that's not um, as recognized as, as much as it should be in a three-way cross model. Um, I think it could be really beneficial. We have a lot of benefits from the Brown Swiss breed on frame size, uh, huge benefits when it comes to longevity and productive life. And then as we talked about earlier, that discussion about the beef cross calf, you know, Holstein, Jersey, Brown, Swiss, I've seen herds that have, you know, uh, two, three hundred of these heifers and, and even cows that are those three-way crosses when they're, they're uniform. Holy cow, are they uniform and uh, very uh, mod like moderate to larger frame size, but black hooves, a little bit more body condition. They have a lot of that hardiness um, that looks like they're going to stay in those herds a long time. And then when you throw a beef cross on, say the bottom um, half or, or two thirds of the herd, um, you're gonna get a higher value beef cross cap just because of that black hoof and, and increased frame size. Um, so I think, um, Heterosis is definitely there on a three-way cross, but it, it also can be there on that Holstein Jersey cross as well. And I think there's ways uh, for us to maintain that uh, level of heterosis uh, down the road as well. So with that initial Holstein on Jersey cross, is your, like, that's your F1 generation, is your recommendation then um, to bring in the brown Swiss breed or what, like what happens after the F1 generation in your opinion? I think it comes down to your herd goals. Um, what is the goal for the herd? Um, is it, um, decreased dry matter intake, um, with increased levels of solids and that's your primary goal? If so, then that Holstein Jersey, um, cross needs to be maintained. Um, if, if, the salvage value and the beef cross value has a higher value in your uh, operation than maybe coming in with a third cross like brown swiss could be um, the right direction and and within that brown swiss you have a lot of genetic 
uh, selection traits as well. But when we're talking about the Holstein times jersey and um, uh, what we can do with that, um, breeding them to an F1 sire um, that is Holstein times jersey is probably the next step um, and truly the next step um, for uh, crossbreeding and maintaining um, a little bit of uniformity uh, to a population that's going to grow and grow. You know, crossbreeding uh, herds are growing um, leaps and bounds in the last two to three years, and especially in that Holstein times Jersey market. And everybody comes to myself and others on our ST team and asks, well, what do I do next? Um, and I think the, the right answer is coming in with a, a sire to use on those, especially in our heifers, um, that is um, Holstein times Jersey. Um, because the worst case scenario for a dairy is if I milk 2,000 or 3,000 cows or greater, and I make made all of my Holsteins to Jerseys, I made all of my Jerseys to Holsteins, and I end up with a, a large population of F1 heifers, and I, I'm told or I decide to breed those F1 heifers to beef. Um, that is losing genetic progress. Um, that is taking your most profitable population of animals in your youngest generation and uh, losing an opportunity, I guess, of, of making progress from them further. And um, some herds are struggling with understanding that and I think this is going to be a big opportunity to say, hey, we have a solution uh, for that uh, group of animals and, and this F1 sire that has been pre-selected for genetic progress on the traits that you're looking for um, could be a, a great alternative. So with the F1 sire that you said ST has been working on, what is the goal for the type of cow that you're breeding for with this type of strategy. Yeah, and it comes right back to that discussion on um, solids um, output per cow per day. Um, if we can make a cow that, say age at first calving is 23, 22 to 24 months, and we're able to make a cow that has a average um, body weight at calving of say 970 to a thousand pounds. Um, we're getting the best of a little bit of both worlds um, with increased frame size from the, the Holstein uh, above Jersey, um, reduced frame size from the Holstein, um, increasing the agility of the animal that may be originating from Holstein um, and increasing the, um, the uh, fertility through adding uh, in the jersey. So um, ultimately we want that cow to be able to produce six, six and a half, maybe even close to seven pounds of uh, solids per cow per day while consuming in the mid forties to upper 40 pounds of dry matter per day. And when we talk about that, we're, we're referring to conversion efficiency of uh, solids over dry matter. And when we get to making a cow that's 13, 14% efficient in converting solids over what she's um, eating, 
um, that's that's huge. And um, that's going to allow our herds to have greater sustainability, um, greater efficiency, um, less land utilization. Um, that's that's the key. I mean, we're we're continually pressured um, in our dairy um, models to use less resources to make more product. And this is one way to do it. And that's the type of cow that we're, we're trying ultimately to, to make through um, this program and make her her own entity. Like, I don't wanna say, like eventually, we're not even gonna call them crossbreds. We're, we're going to call them something. I mean, we're calling our program uh, ST Stamina um, will this be the stamina breed? Will this be um, something on its own because it, it's, it's got a value uh, to the population? So um, ultimately, that's what we're trying to produce. For sure. A very, a very modern concept um, for the dairy producers. So yeah. you, had just, you had just said that um, ST Genetics, this is going to be called their stamina program. How far is ST into, into this program? Where are they at with it? Um, what can producers expect from the program itself? Yeah, um, we're probably in um, year two of, of the project. Um, we're very uh, fortunate and grateful to have a, um, a partner, um, Dairy, in this program that has done a lot of the initial legwork. Um, this, this dairy has uh, high genetic levels uh, and performance levels, incredible performance levels for um, both their Holstein and Jersey populations. And really it's been a, a, um, almost like a, a marriage of the minds from the standpoint that, you know, we at ST were heavily investigating um, these concepts of, to make a more modern, as you said, Laura, um, cow that is profitable and sustainable. And here we had a dairy that was uh, chasing the same uh, goal. And um, they were already in the process of creating uh, these animals, you know, using Holstein females that legitimately could put bulls into AI within the Holstein population and IVFing those Holstein heifers to Jersey bulls. And on the same side had Jersey females that were high ranking and mating them to Holstein um, uh, sires uh, to create these F1 males. So they had already created these F1 males. We were fortunate enough to form a partnership. And um, we have um, now about 15 sires that are all uh, greater than 14 months of age that are being collected for semen, um, being marketed, distributed, um, and, and sold, and, and with, with great success thus far. And um, additionally, that program is continuing. You know, every, every other week, this group meets to decide, um, you know, the progress of the program, um, matings, um, what bulls need to come in next, uh, so it's like its own entity that has a um, design to continue to refresh. And that's important because a lot of the, there are other F1 sires that are out there in the industry, 
but they're they're not done with the same, I guess, genetic intent. Uh, these these have been made with um, that crossbreeding model on complete purpose, with the intention of not just making these bulls and watching how they sell, um, making these bulls with the intentions of having this be a continued program where we bring in new bulls every three to six months and we rotate bulls out and it has a validation program through um, phenotypic records of these animals and then eventually their own um, genomic uh, test for a, a crossbred population. That's, I mean, that's extremely impressive and what a great opportunity for ST to find a herd that was already to that, to that level. So when stamina does come out fully and is 100% functioning, um, do you see it fitting pretty easily into the ST genetics integrated approach of sex semen, uh, beef on dairy, genomic testing, eco-feed, chromosomal mating, the whole, the whole encompassed program? Yeah, yeah, it has to. I mean, um, all of those um, tools that you mentioned, Laura, are um, not just important to ST genetics, but they're important to our producers that we stay in and day out. So that model of integrated approach and sustainability has to be where this eventually goes or, or is already in that. I guess, another spoke in the wheel uh, of everything that we can offer. Um, you know, this program has the ability to um, add genomic testing. It already can genomic test. That, that part we can do. Um, but our goal ultimately is to uh, create a genomic test that's almost uh, proprietary to this population. Um, meaning we're going to learn a lot more about this, um, the, the progeny of this program as their own population. And um, as those daughters uh, calve and produce, and we're collecting a lot of data on these, we're actually going to be able to more accurately give you a genomic prediction for these um, animals. Um, we're going to be able to um, actually hopefully give you a genomic test that not only accounts for inbreeding, but accounts for heterosis gain. Um, that is really a goal. When you talked about sex semen, um, heifer inventory management, um, those types of programs are really important to this concept as well, because a lot of herds um, that are on um, large scale crossbreeding are really um, focused on uh, sexed and beef models because it's two revenue streams. And, um, you know, all of the bulls that are collected are going to be at high purity. So they're going to be above 94% um, female ratio to male. Um, and that's really important um, because a lot of these large scale dairies, they want to minimize uh, the amount of uh, dairy bull calves that they can make. So it fits right into that total encompassing integrated approach. And, you know, we're even talking about utilizing chromosomal mating um, as part of the program as well, um, allowing for a greater selection intensity for the traits that 
a dairy may want. You know, we met with a dairy last week on this program um, that was more focused on the volume than say our, our goals for the internal program. Yet we're able to utilize a mating program and select a group of sires within the, the stamina program that will fit their needs. So um, that's kind of um, a really a benefit of the program um, is having all of those tools at our, our arsenal to make it more dynamic and part of that integrated approach. Awesome. Well, Kevin, I think that you and I could continue to talk about this for, for at least another 30 minutes, but we should probably cut it uh, so that our, our listeners uh, enjoy the 30-minute podcast that we are aiming for. But thank you so much for your information and for your time. This was another episode of ST Talks. You can listen to more episodes soon on your favorite podcast platform. 